once again, we have listener mail to read at the top of this episode. I really like this, everyone. I, I hope that we can keep this up. This makes me feel cool. Uh, so uh, a listener named Laura wrote in to us with thoughts on the mega hot takes from last week's episode about Whiteout. Uh, Laura wrote, well, first of all, Laura said, I especially enjoyed the actual play episode. Thank you, Laura. I don't know if everybody did. So we're very glad we to hear We appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So mostly what Laura is calling out is that she thinks we are being a little bit unfair to Scorpia, um, especially framing her crush on Catra as one coworker crushing on another because people in the Horde don't really have anyone outside of other people in the Horde. So, like, what are they supposed to do? Uh, she also says we didn't really talk about Catra enough, which is totally fair. She thinks that Catra is also to blame in their relationship. That's true, and I would guess we took that as a given, but I would have liked to talk about her more and dig into the nuance because, yeah, good point. Like, Catra doesn't treat Scorpio well either. She's very focused on brainwashing Adora. Also very creepy. But this point that people in the Horde don't have other friends, boy, that's a real downer, isn't it? It's a real downer, and I felt so righteously burned when I read it. I was like, of course. I was really ready to judge Scorpia in a big way, but that's just another form of abuse that the Horde is subjected to. They're kept isolated they don't have healthy relationships. They literally don't have anyone else. And so if they're going to experience love, who the heck are they supposed to experience it from but each other? So I still have a lot of room in my heart for Scorpia, and I appreciate Laura kind of keeping us in check. Why would you live anywhere else? Hello, everybody, and welcome to she Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. Lauren, you did it again. I- Oh, I'm Eric. We got great fan feedback from like two people. So here I am doing the intros. I mean, as far as we know, two people is 100% of our listenership. (laughs) One of them is our guest today, who we'll get to in a second. Yes. So today, uh, okay, okay, a couple weeks ago, we did a show that was like our take on an actual play podcast, which was very fun because I listened to some and it was fun to do my impression of one. Today, we kind of set out to do a show that was like our take on a travel podcast, uh, which is why the episode is called something like Eric and Lauren Go to L.A. But what it's actually going to be is mostly an interview that comes out of a conversation that we had in Los Angeles. But we should finally spill the beans about that trip that we've talked about for weeks and not really gotten into. Yeah, we keep referencing it. And I don't want to run out of anecdotes before we actually do this episode. So this was a grand adventure we went on and it started with Eric basically saying you know it would be weird (laughs) if DreamWorks let us visit them Uh, Eric had his own reasons for going to LA which he's about to tell you about and I just sort of went yeah if that were to happen great I'm in I didn't think it would, and it super happened, you guys. Yeah, basically, like, because of my job, which I've still, I realize it's been two years I've been talking about my job secretively, and I still can't tell you what it is, but you'll know, if you don't know by the end of the year, I'm going to pull out my hair and move to LA, because it will be, it'll drive me crazy. But anyway, because of my job ramping up, I've made this social bucket list of things I have to do before it gets nuts. And one of the things was go to LA. I have a bunch of friends out there. Uh, that I wanted to visit. Uh, One of them is my dear friend, Gary Lucy, who, uh, when I made this plan, was working at Game Show Network. Now, I'm obsessed with game shows, so I'm like, gotta go visit Gary while he's at Game Show Network. His contract had an expiration of, like, mid-May. So 
I'm like, all right, I have one TV studio to visit. And then I came to Lauren and said, Lauren, if, if I email DreamWorks and say, hey, can we have lunch with you guys? And they say, yes, will you go with me? And she was like, yeah, okay. And so I did. And they said, yes, please come visit us. <laughs> all right. What um, did we do to deserve such an amazing life? It was insane. Unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for him because he didn't, I, I don't know if I should talk too bad about employers, but Gary didn't feel like Game Show Network was a great fit. And by the time, like literally the day we bought plane tickets, he was like, well, guys, I'm not there anymore. So let's just have lunch. But we still got to go to DreamWorks and um, it was amazing. And so the interview you're about to hear came out of a lot of conversations we had when we toured their facility uh, and had lunch with them. We're going to talk with Greg Golden, uh, who's the executive in charge of production of She-Ra. Him and Lauren especially had a, a really interesting talk at lunch that we're following up on here. Um, and that's what you're about to hear. There's a little bit of magic Everybody has it There's a little bit of sand left in the so um, Lynn and I were lucky enough to have a wonderful lunch at, at DreamWorks Animation, which legitimately probably the best food we ate in Los Angeles. I feel like we've said that insane. more than once on this show it's already. It's because I have a beef with L.A. and it's that I'd never eat good food there. Well, that's a me problem, I know. But anyway. Well, any place that was empty enough to hold all of our friends was empty because they had bad food. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not naming names. I'm not putting anyone on blast. Oh, I will. No, I won't. Okay. But anyway, so we, we had lunch with, I think, maybe seven or eight folks on the She-Ra uh, Princesses of Power staff. And one of those folks has uh, agreed to join us via Skype to continue our conversations. And uh, he's a great dude. I'm very happy to have him here. Everyone, please welcome to the show and In Your Hearts, Mr. Greg Golden, executive in charge of production for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Yay! Hello, Greg. I, I have to I have to jump right in and say, if you guys, if it, you know, the food of DreamWorks is, is good, <laughs> we're very happy to have it. But if that's the best food you had in L.A., then we need to take you guys out some places. Yeah. Yeah, we would love that. Um, yeah, no, no, no uh, fights here, please. <laughs> I heard Ashna, I think, agree in the background. It was very enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. There's very good food in the city, and it's not hard to find. So the little, a little uh, forewarning next time, and we'll make some plans. That's wonderful to hear. We first heard of Greg through uh, him writing to us some very nice fan letters. Um, one of the first people to reach out to us from DreamWorks was Greg because he was apparently listening to our show long before we knew about it on his commutes. Is that right, Greg? Yeah. Well, you know, LA traffic, I have a, I have a long commute. And, you know, we found out about your show uh, at the time that we were kind of you know, put out the announcement of, of the show we were making. And you guys were surprised about us as we were about you and, of course, started listening uh, and really just love how you guys uh, dissect the show. Really love how you guys like dig in. Uh, Lauren, I think at one point you you hooked me when you said like everything you need to know about Shadow Weaver, you could see from her design. And then this was just like in the trailer and then started to list a whole like litany of characteristics for Shadow Weaver that ended up becoming absolutely true. So I was like, these guys have totally clicked in. And I just it's it's a joy to listen to uh, sitting in bumper bumper traffic on an L.A. freeway. I, I just have to say that blows my mind because I think when we reached out to um, to your PR department the first time, they mentioned that some people 
on the show listen to our show. And I was like, oh, that's a nice thing to say, but I don't actually yeah, believe LOL, it. Yeah, LOL. Yeah, right. But I'd like that's incredible to me. <laughs> yeah, it's we such were. A gift I was you... terrified to reach out to you guys. I was like, our tiny show, they're gonna laugh. And then to know you were over there, actually already engaged with us, I, I will never stop loving that story. Uh, thank you so much. Anyway, Shadow Weaver, yeah. <laughs> Shadow Weaver rules. So when we visited uh, DreamWorks, the first thing we saw was the Shrek statue. What are your feelings on the Shrek statue? <laughs> For people who don't know or didn't see our Facebook page, there's a giant Shrek statue in like greeting visitors to DreamWorks. It's an amazing piece, actually, in that its eyes are very realistic and it uses, you know, textiles and it's got, you know, like veins and fingernails. <laughs> It's super lifelike and it's super noticeable. As I'm driving in every day, you can kind of see it out of the corner of the lot, kind of just waiting. And, you know, I have to walk by him. You say hi. He just, he's, a, he's a friendly mascot, at, you, know, you know, greets us every morning. That was definitely <laughs> a, a, a striking first impression that we got. And I guess I bring it up because, yeah, you work on that campus or around it or on a you know, some some capacity of DreamWorks every day. You told us this awesome story about the day on campus that there was a pre-screening of the new season. And Ashna was talking about it and several of the other staff members. And apparently people were lining up at your campus just hours in advance and in costume. Were you around for that? I unfortunately was not around for that. I had to be actually in your guys' neck of the woods for a, for a family event, but I'd heard about it. And this comes no surprise knowing the fandom we have around the show is that we invited fans to come and, and see screening in, in the theater on campus. And I think it was started at like six o'clock and people were lining up at like two thirty, three o'clock. Right again, and we're like, you guys, we can't. We had to turn them away and send them back in, uh, send them back again. It just goes to show just the level of commitment dedication that the fans have for the show and and I, it, it surprises me and doesn't surprise me all at the same time what is it like for you being part of a team for a show that has such an engaged and enthusiastic fan base it's it's amazing i mean i've worked on so many different shows and they're you know you don't always get a reaction like this some you work on stuff and you like it and sometimes there's just so much content out there it kind of goes in the ether and never really hits but like from the moment we announced this show there was such a passionate discussion and the fan art started and just from from immediately uh, fans were reacting to it. And the great thing about it is, is just, I'm such a super fan of the show myself that I knew that we had the goods and you were telling a really compelling story. So I knew that all these fans that were like pre excited about it were largely going to really enjoy this ride. And so it's really gratifying to just see people react. And I will never get tired of seeing people dress up at Comic-Con. I will never get tired of people tweeting about the show and, and all the fan art. It's, it's overwhelming. It's really amazing. So continuing sort of on the fan response thread, there's a lot of people who are out there on Twitter and on Facebook saying, oh my gosh, I hope they get renewed. That was a cliffhanger. I hope they get picked back up. And you know better than anyone that sort of this process started years in advance and it's, it's not so easy as if the fans like it will make more. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the creation process and the timeline when it began? Sure. Uh, I think we've been working on it for about three years. Noel might have been working on it for for longer than that because it, it was it was developed uh, 
for probably about uh, six to seven months to a year before I joined the show um, and I come in. Uh, it, it starts with our development department and it gets hands off to my department, which is current, and we kind of take the ball and run with it. Um, but so I've been working on it for about three years. And, you know, in that time, you it takes it takes really from the first page that's written all the way through the final episode about a year to make it. So there, it's, it takes a long time to you have to plot, you have to pre-plan everything and kind of write your stories in advance. And so, yeah, all the fans that are like, oh, I wish they could do this or I wonder if, if they're reacting to, to the things we're saying. No, the, the course has kind of been set. But one of the great things is that we are in the hands of, of Noel Stevenson and, and the crew as storytellers. So the one thing I can say for sure is that like the ride is is a really good one and it will be a really great, complete, satisfying ride all the way through. So for those fans that worry about it and worry about cliffhangers, I'm just like, I, you know, I know it's it's that you just you worry that your favorite show or a show you love might not come back, but there will be a complete story. Uh, speaking of cliffhangers, I guess one of the most interesting conversations I remember having with you individually in L.A., was about Netflix and the idea of sort of binge watching or binge releasing shows. Uh, I'd like to sort of just relive that talk for our listeners. Sure. You you asked me uh, if, as a fan, I preferred whole seasons getting released at once or if I'd rather have it spread out. And I, I kind of gave a, a non-committal answer because as a fan... I love seeing everything at once. I love sitting down as if it's a movie and just doing it all and knowing all of the facts and getting all the way through the end. But as a podcast creator, with each week that passes, we become further and further away from the day the last She-Ra content hit. The hype gets less and less and we have to keep people excited and talking about it. You, however, gave me such an interesting take about cliffhangers. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I have a couple takes about cliffhangers. Uh, my first one, since we've left season two with a big cliffhanger, and according to Twitter, there's some people that are not happy about that. I take like great delight and joy in people getting mad at cliffhangers, whether or not it's a show I'm, I'm working on or a show I'm a fan of. Because my feeling is if you're a fan and you react to a cliffhanger and you're like, no, I want more. I want now. How are you going to leave? How can you leave me like this? That's good. You're invested in the story. If we give you a cliffhanger and you kind of shrug and you're like, eh, that's something that happened. We haven't done our job. So if you have a, a, a any strong react to a cliffhanger is a good one. But there are you know, because and the thing we were talking about was kind of within the season themselves and with Netflix, um, you know, having bingeable seasons and putting out, you know, 13 episodes or six, seven episodes in one sitting, we can tell stories in a different way than we've than we've told before, especially in, in the world of kids TV. So I think you're probably talking about the uh, the entrap the moment, which I know we were talking about. Is that, is that what you're? Yes. Yeah. Um, so. You know, it was in season one and we have the episode where Entrapta seemingly uh, seemingly dies. And it's a really um, it's a really can be really powerful moment. And our the, the characters react in a really strong way. And, um, you know, I, I was really concerned about leaving an episode with that. I'm, you know, I always think about like the kid audience of mine. And I'm, I'm so happy that like audiences of all ages love this show but really you know we're designing this to be really a show for kids and it's a really sophisticated you know fun amazing show for kids and we're able to tell these stories but 
typically in kids' cartoons, you don't really kill characters, let alone at the end of an episode. And, and had we not been on Netflix and had, had, had you not be able to kind of go right into the next episode, if we had to make our audience wait a week or even make a season, I, I would have been a lot more uncomfortable about about leaving the fate of Entrapta unclear for a whole week or maybe months. Um, and it's something that I, you know, talked about and, and, and talked to my, uh, the team and my bosses and said, are we, are we good kind of having it end like this? And, and everyone's like, yeah, it's great. Um, and you know, I think there's some people that were probably genuinely surprised and some people that probably saw it coming, uh, my daughter, who's one of them, she was one of the first people to watch the show. I, I showed her the episodes like very early on, and and um and she was like, I don't, I don't think she's, she didn't buy it for a second. I don't think she's dead. So, you know, there's there's some people that didn't that didn't get it for a second. But being able to tell the stories and being able to plot where we have cliffhangers and and how to kind of, you know, we have larger arcs and then kind of mini arcs in seasons and kind of where to leave the audience. So you guys want to come back for more after a couple months is a really big challenge. And, and that's really Noel and the writers who kind of plot it all out ahead of time going about what we we're talking about for how far in advance we have to plan these things. We really have to like take in consideration that we're on Netflix and they want a certain season length. And we have these certain, certain, you know, months between seasons and how can we create a moment that will keep you on the edge of your seat until we come back with a new season. Well, wasn't this at least partially learned from previous experience? I swear someone at the table was talking about another DreamWorks property. I'm not familiar with it, but it had something to do with horses. And a season ended with the horse being taken away from her family or her little girl. And then it was just left there. <laughs> Spirit riding free. And this is another one where I keep talking about my daughter. Uh, yeah. So the, there was a cliffhanger at the end of an episode where it looked like Spirit was going to be taken. Uh, it's just a really sweet show uh, about girls and their horses and living on the frontier. And this really uh, dramatic moment happens at the end of the season. And it really messed with a lot of kids and and caused a lot of tears my daughter was one of them who after watching the episode yelled at me said if you told me what was going to happen in that show i wouldn't have watched it i would have waited till the next so you know uh yeah we can you know there are some times when things get a little dramatic but one of the things i love about where we are in animation and kids animation is that we're taking those kind of chances and telling those kind of stories i think it's it's good for kids to have a range of emotions when they're watching stuff sometimes things can be sad and dramatic and happy and exciting and you know why should kids be shortchanged on all the emotions that adult shows have just because they're younger and, you know, you have to do it in a way that's respectful, in a way that's not going to completely scar them for life. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that that it's really great that we have just this, this renaissance of, of this golden age of, of animation happening right now where we can really take some great creative chances. I, I just completely agree. And you're kind of taking us there already. But how does it feel to have daughters at a time when these characters are being shown to kids? And, you know, how does it feel to kind of be partially responsible uh, it's, I'm so proud of it. I, I think it's, it's really, it, it's this really amazing, complicated, interesting time we live in. Um, you know, I am, uh, just working on the show. I, as a, as a, as a, as a guy, I'm a minority. I'm happily minority on the show. The show is, is majority women making the show. So there are many times when I'm sitting in a, in a meeting or a conference room where we're looking at something and there's 20 people in the room. I'm either the only guy, one of two guys. So, 
my personal journey on the show has been learning a lot. I, I've learned so much from the women I work with and, and kind of how the show is the stories that are being told and how it's being constructed. And I can kind of pass that forward to my daughter, my son as well. Got to, you know, got to, got to teach, teach kids kind of just how to react in the world. But, um, and the fact that we're putting something out there that, you know, has body diversity and, and all, you know, all the kinds of representations in the show. Um, and people are not only picking up on it, but really appreciating it. Um, is very gratifying. And, and again, I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud uh, that DreamWorks has kind of allowed us to really tell these stories and embraced it. And not only that, but supported it and and really, you know, have, have backed us every time we've, we've wanted to make a decision and, and, and tell something in a unique way, not just for Shira, but across all the shows we're working on. When we started talking to you uh, off off the air, <laughs> we asked you what your title was, and you said executive in charge of production and kind of jokingly went, like, people will know what that means. Just kind of for the people at home, if you had to describe your responsibilities or like a day in the life of your job, what does an executive in charge of a production do? It sounds like a very lofty, uh, highfalutin title, but um, I, I oversee every creative aspect of the series, basically from the earliest outlines of stories all the way through to the stages of post-production, sound effects, music, and when we finally mix the episode. Uh, and then beyond that, I am an ambassador for the show, working with our PR teams, our marketing teams, uh, working... Um, to pick stills for the show that appear on Netflix, uh, helping program uh, any kind of uh, Comic Con panels, you name it. We we kind of I kind of involved with it over the show. But the the, the nut the the meat, really meat of it is working with you know Noelle and the team to really to to really get her vision out on the screen. So one of my my kind of goofy analogies of of that my job is like bumpers on a bowling alley. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, you put those bumpers up and it keeps the ball from, from knocking off the course that, you know, from the lane, that's, that's my job. There's a lot of different ways you can go. You can kind of have a wide berth to get down the alley. Um, and I'm just going to make sure that we're kind of staying on track, that stories make sense, that the, the character arcs that we're seeing kind of, kind of are clear. Um, it's really easy for all of us to work on a show sometimes to get really close to it. And sometimes you just need more of an objective voice to kind of pull back and go, yeah, but ask a question, but that, that does that make sense? Or does this, this thing work? Or does, does that joke kind of play the way we want to? And so that's my job is kind of just overseeing all the creative aspects of, of that show. Well, even, even the little things are so important. I remember talking to you guys about picking stills and you guys were saying that it was so difficult to pick stills for season two to put on Netflix and, and in the PR that weren't spoilers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so hard. This show is just a minefield of spoilers. And even as we're, as we're getting into, into, into future seasons, it's getting harder and harder. Um, you know, keeping uh, the secret that Entrapta and Hordak were going to have uh, – we're going to have a friendship and um, it's just one of the few things so yeah so you know uh, our our amazing marketing department will create some trailers and we'll look at something and go well we can't show that that's a spoiler or if we show something out of context you know it's not a spoiler for the audience that doesn't know what it is even though we might and so there's things we can do to sometimes you know tease the audience a little bit and put an image that we know everyone is going to like maybe freak out for but not know the reason why but really having to to understand the, the entire series and help guide 
all the teams to know like, well, you know, we, we want to make it a great experience for the audience. We never want to, we never want to be the ones to spoil anything. So, so having to kind of look through all the stills and all the, all the trailers and all the marketing materials just to make sure that we are keeping all the secrets of the show until we feel like it's the time to reveal them. And it's, it can be a challenge. I like that for season three, though, you guys are just like, screw it. Here's Huntara, like right <laughs> out the gate. Uh, well, I will say that, that yeah, that is not even a spoiler of the season. There are so many spoilers in that season, uh, and Huntara is, is thankfully not one of them. But there's a lot of great twists and turns that are coming up. But I'm really stoked that we were able to kind of talk about Huntara. I know that legacy fans of the show like you guys hopefully appreciate that she's there and the fact that gina davis got we we, we got her to, to to be on the show was was a highlight of my career to watch her record and, and meet her she was amazing so yeah so to be able to kind of put that out there but just know that even behind that there's there's way more surprises coming that i guess that brings me to a question i had uh, after a couple of your answers were you a fan of the original property or like how did you come to shira was it purely kind of like that's just the way your career led or, or have you always felt a connection to the property I, I actually haven't so i am i am a child of the 80s but r- about the time that he-man and shira were uh were coming out i was getting into my early teendom and there was a brief period of time where i kind of stopped watching cartoons well never i never stopped watching cartoons i watched less as other aspects of my life were becoming more interesting so this was around the time that the show was coming out so i had missed it i was not i did not watch it at all and when um i knew I was going to be working on Shira. I may actually made a conscious decision not to watch the show because I really wanted the new show to be, um, to stand on its own. And I didn't want to have to be comparing it to, to the, to the old show, the original show. I knew that there was so many people on the crew who know and love and have encyclopedic knowledge of the original, that that wasn't what I needed to bring to it. I wanted to make sure that it was its own thing. So I actually didn't start watching, uh, original Shira until, um, actually just a few months ago and i've really only seen a handful of them so uh so the new shira is my shira uh even though i i, I have such appreciation and affection for uh, the entire fandom of the, the entire property that's incredible you know they say the director of the 1990s super mario brother movie uh super mario brothers movie pointedly never played a mario game uh so he could have a fresh perspective so sometimes you get Mario Brothers, and sometimes you get Shira with that approach. I think we got the good one here. The Mario Brothers movie gets a bad rap. Um, because it's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not a good movie. It's a fun bad movie, but it's it's not good. I, I feel like in a couple months maybe talking about Sonic in the same way. Yeah, that's. That's interesting. I have so many feelings about the fan response to Sonic and changing to, uh, you know, based on that, but also the poor overworked animators. I don't know. That's, uh, it feels big. It feels like a big turning point in like fan studio relations. And I don't know if I like what it says. It's tough because, you know, fandom, you, 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 you want to, you want to please the fandom and you want to listen to the fandom. And then sometimes fandoms, say they want things and they really don't know what they want. It's a very tricky line to walk because, you know, especially fandom, some fandoms that can turn toxic, they have ideas about where they want stories to go. And it's not that the story you're telling is necessarily a bad story, just not what they expected to happen. And then things can kind of fall apart. We've seen it happen in a couple of fandoms. So uh, I don't think it's the case with Sonic. I think that they, they have a really uh, weird looking character that, that is so far from the character that we all, 
all know, you start to wonder, like, do they even have the story right? Do they have it down? Um, Taking back to Shira, there was things that, you know, people kind of said that we kind of did the other way. Like, oh, there's these little bits or Easter eggs or, or things, things that we did in the show that kind of led people to say, oh, it feels like they are respectful. They are they are paying homage. They are kind of listening. They do understand what Shira is about. So uh, on that side of it, the fandom of, of Shira has been really great um, and really welcoming. And I really love all the spirited debate about um, about the show and, and how it compares to, to, the, to the past and the future and all the speculation about what's going to happen. Um, it's interesting to watch. I, 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 I read a lot of it. I go down deep rabbit holes mm-hmm. and it's it's not good for me, but I can't help it. It's fascinating. Yeah, one of my uh, one of my business partners at my job likes to say, um, and I've, I'm sure I've said this before, but he says people don't like Star Wars; they like how Star Wars made them feel the first time they saw it. And I, I think about that a lot. And I think that this new Shira has done a really deft job of feeling fresh. And like the parts that I like the most are maybe the parts that I don't know what's coming. But then there's the anchor of like, well, Shadow Weaver is Shadow Weaver. You know, Hordak is Hordak, no matter the iteration. And I don't, it's just such a, it feels like discovering the original She-Ra VHS again that I did when I was like four or five years old and I'd rented every He-Man tape. It, it, it reminds me of that feeling like, oh my God, anything can happen. And I love it. That's amazing. You know, I remember early on, Noelle was talking about it and she said, you know, I, there's, there's such a great, there's an amazing mythology. The show is so, so rich with these fantastic characters and such, such a deep story that, but there's some things that she said just didn't quite make sense. And so how do you, how do you make these things make sense? How do you explain how there's a princess working for the horde? And that was kind of what her approach into peeling back some of the layers and of keeping the mythology and the stories as they were, but exploring them a little bit deeper. And so I, I think that, that, that the team is really taken that across and just embraced what the show is and said, you know, it wasn't about trying to improve it at all. It was just trying to tell um, a different facet facet to the story. Well, and you talk about the golden age of animation. Lauren and I obviously have a, a lot of love for the original She-Ra, but it's very clear that for many creators, the reality is it just had to be a job for them. Like, not <laughs> that they didn't put their all into it, but the production schedules and the realities of producing a cartoon in the 80s, it... I don't know that they had the ability to put in the the loving care as much as you got. Had, uh, that's not what I want to say, but do you know what I'm getting at? Even like just it was, the time. Yeah, the time. Like, I feel like your team has brought so much love to the show and, and developed it like it's a show for grownups, and that has really paid off so well. Well, we don't have time either. That's, that's the, the big secret. <laughs> There is no time. It is it is so fast. Uh, we're constantly uh, every single week working on a show. We're juggling six different episodes and different stages of production. So, um, yeah, it, it can feel like a factory, and it can be just this this nonstop conveyor belt of, of cartoons coming away. But when you have something like this, I've actually not I, not worked on a show that had the the passionate fandom that this show has. I think everybody knew we were trying to make something special. We were trying to to have a show that had a bigger message. And um, in some cases, a lot of people uh, on the crew, this was their first show or they're early in their careers. And so there's a lot of like youthful energy that came to the show, which I think totally helps. But I I do think back in the 80s, like it it may seem cookie cutter and factory. I do think a lot of those guys were really passionate about what they're doing. I think that's why you still they still talk about it today and that they're still interviewed about it. I think that that, you know, making cartoons is, is really hard and but it also can be really fun and really special. It's not like any other part of this industry. 
you know, we don't have the giant scope of, of, of making an Avengers like movie. Um, you really have to kind of roll up your sleeves and just you're really kind of making something really more by hand and taking this care with it. But at the same time, it is this constant. You're constantly moving and constantly have to make just a million decisions every day to keep things moving, keep things on time so they can get on the air when they need to. Yeah, I think I misspoke. I think maybe what I'm fumbling for here is that the way in which we tell stories, like our sense of narrative is so much richer now and people give so much more consideration to it at the top uh, maybe than, than even used to happen. Not that the episode writers and stuff didn't care because certainly people like Larry Dottilio and J. Michael Straczynski gave a lot to the original She-Ra. But yeah, um, shows are made so much so thoughtfully now across the board. It's, it's really wonderful. Well, there were, I mean, just more motivations to juggle too. They were Masters of the Universe had to create characters to sell toys. And we've talked about how the morals at the end were sort of... Literally tacked on? Yeah, tacked on because of a government requirement. I mean, there were so many things acting upon cartoons at the time that I I really admire them doing that balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. But I like that... I mean, obviously, we don't know all the pressures on your team, but it seems like you really put story at the very forefront and it really paid off. Yeah. In this case, if you have a storyteller like, like Noelle, who's just, she's a, re, she's a genius storyteller. You, and, and she had plotted out where this, this show was going to go when she pitched it originally. And she's talked about that before I even think on your podcast. Um, so she kind of knew where the road was going to go. And just a matter of like, just making sure she gets there, making sure the whole show gets there. So you kind of just trust in her storytelling. But I think across the board, because there's so much out there because you know uh there's so many different streaming services and so many different networks and just you know it, it we all have to step up our game we just have to tell better stories and and i i think this this really friendly competition between all of us um is just making the shows better and again like we talked about things like netflix and having like these these, these bingeable sort of seasons like a handful of years ago it was really unheard of to make a serialized show for kids. It just wasn't the way stories were being told for kids. And then slowly it kind of started to happen. And, and then writers get really excited. Wait, I can tell the story across, you know, multiple episodes in this bigger canvas. And, and so once you kind of open up those doors and it gets people's creativity going, then just magic happens. And I think we're in a state right now where that's just that's what's happening. There's just so much great stuff to watch and absorb. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that that you guys are appreciating the fact that kind of story comes first because at the end of the day yeah we're trying to tell great stories and and if we don't have great stories and great characters then then what's the point of watching the stuff we're working on but i remember being a kid and wishing that i had stories like that like maybe not maybe not like a little little kid but definitely in high school you know uh, i would watch something like superman the animated series and be fascinated that there would be episodes that would refer to other episodes without being like a part two uh, explicitly, you know, and I remember even showing my one of my best friends, Batman, the animated series, maybe 10 years ago. So into our adulthood. And that's still one of my favorite shows of all time. And he was like, I like it, I guess. But why don't any episodes connect to any other episodes? And that just perplexed me as a criticism. I'm like, because it was a cartoon in 1992. I, but, you know, I think this show would be made a lot differently now. And that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, the kind of the kind of scope that 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 series would have, if it was made now, would be would be kind of cool. But I also like the shows that are just one offs and and kind of tell these just just one off stories and don't really connect. There's something nice about being able to drop in, spend some time with characters, and kind of kind of drop out as well. So what I like is that that 
there's a little bit of everything. Some shows are, are one-offs and yeah. some shows are serialized and, and they can all kind of exist together. And even She-Ra juggles that sometimes like uh, Roll With It, which is obviously an episode made for people like me. Um, you know, it connects to the larger story, but on its own, it's just a very satisfying 22 minutes of television. That is my favorite episode. I, I think I'm going to go on a limb and say of the series. I just, Whoa. I love it. Um, yeah. Uh, just, I love, I, I love what it does. I love the different animation styles. I know you guys talked about it already. So we have to go back and, and, and peel through the whole thing, but yeah, and th- we do a couple stories like that, that are just kind of more one-off and, and really kind of focus on the characters and then put aside the, all the, the, the giant arcs and the, and the fighting for a minute and just spend some time with these guys. And, and it's really great because the characters are just so fully fleshed out that you just like hanging out with them. And those, those are sometimes my favorite moments in the show and they're just, they're just together and talking. You know, they always say like, you know, your characters need to be able to, to hang out in an elevator together um, for an entire episode if they're good characters. And I, I think anyone, any combination of our characters on the show, I could watch them hang out in an elevator and just talk I to each other. I look forward to the elevator episode. <laughs> oh, I, spoiler, spoiler. I can't. No. <laughs> Uh-oh. We got to cut it. So knowing that you're a fan and you already kind of spoke to your favorite episode, which of these characters uh, have you grown the closest to? It's a great question. Um, it, it jumps around all the time. I mean, uh, you know, Scorpia came out and was such a surprise because she just wasn't the character that I thought she was going to be. Um, and a similar thing with, with Frosta. I think Frosta is emerging as one of my favorite characters um, because she just – when you meet her, she's so different than who she turns out to be once she kind of joins up with the group. Uh, and there's some really fun stuff with her that's – coming speaking of what's coming so when we met you i was very taken aback by the fact that we were just hanging out and having lunch and you guys were like oh we're going to the emmys later today uh (laughs) and there was not an emmy win unfortunately that year but i'm hoping next time what are some other things you are looking forward to in the future oh uh i mean there's some incredible stuff that uh that I'm working on this incredible stuff that the studio is making that I just get to be a fan of on the side. Um, uh, one of the shows that I'm working on, we have announced so I can talk about it, is that we're making a series of fast of fast and furious. Uh, and I, <laughs> I love those movies because they're just big and mindless and spectacle and trying to like make a show uh, for kids with those ingredients is, a, is an amazing challenge and it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Uh, there's another show, which I can't talk about yet because we have not announced it. That is just one of, I don't work on it personally, but is, is one of the most interesting, unique, um, special, uh, shows that we've, that we've had at the studio. And, um, uh, it's going to be really amazing. I think you guys are going to dig it. When, when I'm able to talk about it more, uh, I'll, I'll definitely let you know. We got your uh, Jurassic Park press release. We, we can talk about that, right? That one, yeah, that, that's one that I also get to be a fan of on the sidelines. I'm not working on that one. But, man, that's going to be cool. So, yeah, so we're, we're making some really awesome, big, huge franchise shows. And we're making some really small independent minded, you know, uh, either 11 minute comedies or just quirky adventure shows, um, kind of across the board. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what's kind of coming down the pike. 
And did the Shira statue in the cafeteria ever get put back, or is she broken forever? <laughs> uh, broken for now. I, I'm sure she'll resurface at some point. Uh, it was nice. It was nice having lunch, kind of with with Shira protecting us all. Uh, but yeah, she'll pop, she'll pop up. She'll pop back up again for sure. I I guess I just would like to say on Mike that uh, it was so gracious of your team to just invite us into your place of work and then give us a tour and feed us and let us hang out for a couple hours. Like what? So wild. Like I'll talk about this at the start of the episode, but I think when I told Lauren, like, Hey, I'm going to LA. If DreamWorks has lunch with with us, will you go? I think she was like, that's never going to (laughs) happen. And it happened. Uh, Lauren noted pessimist. (laughs) It's just, it's so cool. I think I made a comment on Facebook. Like, uh, thanks for letting us be your weird out of town third cousins for the day. And Liz Creason commented, we like you more than our actual third cousins. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd agree. No offense to my cousins. Sorry. <laughs> your third uh, cousins. Oh. Your third cousins. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was really cool. Uh, it was cool to, you know, you, you, you listen to a podcast and you hear voices. And then suddenly there's faces attached to those voices. And we're actually talking in real time instead of just me talking to my car where you guys can't hear me usually. It's just how I how i talk to you guys uh so yeah it was cool you guys are actual people kind of could be on and 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 to be able to kind of have the conversations we had and and kind of break down the walls of of the show that that we made that you guys are fans of and the podcast that you're making that talks about our show it's all this giant kind of feedback loop but yeah it was it was really cool to uh, to be sitting with you guys on the campus and having that meal and, and just talking about all kinds of stuff was really great well, the adventure continues because I was just so shocked and honored that you agreed to actually do the podcast. So may the loop go on. <laughs> <laughs> Take me out to the coast. Now find my way. Now so we definitely said we would bring Greg to Magic Castle uh, because... That was one of the highlights of our trip. If you haven't heard of it, it's this really amazing performance space slash social club for magicians. And Eric has a friend also named Eric, one of several Erics that I met on the trip, who was able to get us in. We can't tell you much about it because the whole point is that it's a magical, magical secret. But uh, I got to see a ghost that played piano. I got to see lots of magic, and I came home with a playing card with my name written on it from a magician named Doc, and it was a wonderful time, highly recommended, kitschy, weird, delightful. If you have the connection to get into Magic Castle, definitely go. And the thing that Lauren's not telling you is, we can talk, talk a little bit, I think. So they have a lot of different stages for magic. One of those stages is a bar in their basement. And the performer, Doc, from whom Lauren got a card, got the audience chanting Lauren's name. This is like 1130 on a Friday night. Like the bar was half empty at that point. Everyone was blitzed and just yelling, Lauren, Lauren. Like there was like, I swear, in my head, it was like a bachelorette party from like South Dakota (laughs) of like drunk girls in the back who like were yelling, Lauren, Lauren. It was awesome. All of my like... Khaleesi buttons, all of my dictatorial, I will rule the world someday buttons were getting pushed by, I was in a glittery dress and people were yelling my name. We also saw, like, honestly, a a kind of washed up legend of magic, Jonathan Pendragon. I remember watching him on TV when I was a kid. It's so bizarre to, like, wake up a part of your brain that was dormant. I never would have thought of Jonathan Pendragon again for the rest of my life had we not walked into those doors. 
I liked his set, but I totally see what you're saying. It was his banter, especially, was kind of cringy. His set was my least favorite. Uh, that's fair. I do want to shout out um, my friend Eric's group. They're called the New Bad Boys of Magic. You can catch them at the castle sometimes. They're also performing a couple dates at the Magic Lounge in Chicago. We're going to go. Yeah, it looks like July 11th and 12th so uh i'm gonna work on finding a time to go and they better chant my name or i'll be really disappointed because that's what magic shows are to me now. yes everyone just yelling Lauren. <laughs> uh on a personal note i just for a second i'm gonna bring this episode full circle so something that you guys wouldn't know about me because how could you is that the last time before this that i was in los angeles i thought i was moving there so i quit my last job in 2017 and I, uh, at the time, I was like at the height of my podcast production. I was probably working on four or five different shows. And I actually took one of them on tour, uh, which you could find on nerdalogs.com. It's called Your Stories. We did a, sh- a recording at Meltdown in Los Angeles with my friend Gary, in fact. Um, so at the time, I was interviewing for a job at the, one of the NPR affiliates in Pasadena. And I had gotten to like round three of the interview process. And I was like convinced that I was going to get this job. And I had made up my mind that like LA was where I was going to move because that's where all young creatives feel like they belong. Um, I ended up not getting the job in the final round, um, which is great. Like I'm really happy that I'm still here and I love what I'm doing in Chicago. And really this is the podcast that gets all of my attention now. And I'm totally fine with that because life has changed. But uh, driving around LA made me feel a way It made me feel weirdly like a failure because the last time I was there, my context was totally like, I am moving here to work in radio, to work in podcasting. And going back, it's like, I'm visiting here and spending time with all my friends. But I don't know. I think it was just the call of knowing what could have been, like knowing there's an alternate universe version of me that did do that. And it, I just love LA so much. I want to retire there. But what's weird is that I did go because of a podcast ultimately, right? Like my friend Gary, I know through podcasts, DreamWorks only happened because of the show that I do. And Lauren and I have talked about several times that this is really the show, the thing that we produce that has gotten the like best fan response of anything we've done. So fuck, I'm not a failure. (laughs) Like that's awesome. (laughs) Just because I don't live there and just because I don't work at whatever the NPR affiliate in Pasadena is, I don't know. Like, I feel very wistful about L.A., but I'm really glad that I got to go. And I can say definitively, like, this trip with you, Lauren, was, like, a couple of the best days of my life. Wow. I completely, first of all, agree that it was just the most wonderful time with you. Um, I, too, was going through some emotional times. I've kind of hinted at it on this show. I'm going through a divorce. And there's a lot of things about that that can make a person feel like a failure and feel like their time has been wasted. And so in a weird way, I think we were both in L.A. at a time when we were wondering, has it been worth it? Are we on the right path? And, man, nothing will make a person feel like they're nailing it than that fountain at DreamWorks and that sunshine and those palm trees. So we really, really appreciate our friends at DreamWorks. Eric, I appreciate your friendship and especially the uh, spontaneous nature of you, because otherwise I would not have ever gone to L.A. And for me, L.A. is a nice place to visit and probably not live. Um, On one hand, if I were to say something politically about L.A., 
I have strong feelings about the exploitation of hopeful young celebrity wannabes. I have a lot of feelings about income inequality in the city. Uh, but in the end, there's a lot of great people who we really love that have made a home there. And it's an exciting place to be. And I can't wait to go back. Also, I had a pizza without cheese, and it was life-changing because I'm lactose intolerant, and all the haters in Chicago who tried to fight me about it, it was the best. I'm sorry. It was really good. Shout out to Vito's Pizza in Santa Monica. <laughs> we could live beside the ocean. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. I am still dreaming of yours.